Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate out there. Let us from Real Pod Wednesdays wish you all the best and wish you a happy Fiesta Bowl week as we are here from what I wish we could say was sunny Arizona, but is actually rainy Arizona. Uh, we're in our hotel room right now at the Camelback Inn in Scottsdale, and we got poured on on our way back to the room. So not exactly ideal Arizona weather, but not sure much can put a damper on the excitement that everybody has for this big game coming up this week between Ohio State and Clemson. No, no, it's definitely dreary. Not that it will affect the outcome because the game will be played indoors. By the way, Dan, you know something that I realized that I just completely forgot? I feel like we never introduce ourselves at the beginning of the podcast. If someone was just listening to us, I don't think they would have a clue who we are. I usually are. say I'm Dan Hope, and I'm joined by Clemson's oh, Hill. Oh, the, oh this, I figured, one, this, one I, this one I caught. I yeah. figured by this point. I would hope. Most people probably know who we are, but I'm Dan Hope. I am Colin Hossell. And this is Real Pod Wednesdays, another episode coming at you, not live from Arizona, but about, it's it's Tuesday evening here, a couple hours back in time, mountain time zone here. I didn't say that very well, but uh, we time travel. mountain time zone here in Arizona. You're listening to this. It's either Wednesday, Christmas Day, or sometime later in the week and getting ready for a big Fiesta Bowl game between Ohio State and Clemson. The biggest game that Ohio State has played since it played Clemson three years ago. And we know how that game went. It didn't go well for Ohio State. That led to a lot of change. It led to it actually led to Ryan Day joining Ohio State's coaching staff after Tim Beck and Ed Warner were let go. And over the past three years, we've seen the evolution of Ohio State's offense under Ryan Day's leadership. Now this year, we saw a new defensive coaching staff come in. Buckeyes playing elite football on both sides of the ball. But you can say the same about Clemson this year. Ohio State's the number two seed. Clemson's the number three seed. But both of these teams are 13-0. Clemson hasn't lost a game in two years. Ohio State... Ohio State is the second longest winning streak in the country. They haven't lost since that ill-fated game at Purdue last year. So these are two really, really good football teams, maybe the two best football teams in the country. And it's about as evenly matched a game as I can remember covering. I don't know that I've ever felt less swayed one way or the other going into the game where I truly... I truly feel like both of these teams have about a 50% chance of winning this game. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's a little interesting. Um, you, you rarely have a game sort of like this um, that is just so split. I mean, it, it if it happens, it's often in the playoff, but obviously Ohio State hasn't been back there since 2016, and everybody knows what happened then. It decidedly was not the even game that I think we both imagine this to be. It sort of set the scene a little bit right now. So it's Tuesday. We talked to um, three defensive players, three offensive players. Uh, Jeff, uh, or not Jeff Halfley. We thought we were going to get Jeff Halfley. Instead, we got Greg Madison and Kevin Wilson. Jeff Halfley had a quote-unquote team meeting that affected his schedule, and he was not available on Tuesday. We'll just leave it at that. And um, we also talked to three Clemson offensive players, three Clemson defensive players, um, their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, and 
Um, it's it's one of the two times really that we get to talk to multiple people um, because the media day will be on Thursday and then uh, that that means that essentially we get to talk to whoever we want on the team, whichever players or coaches. And then on Friday, the the coaches have a dual press conference. The head coaches Ryan Day and, and Dabo Sweeney. And I think like from today, like one of sort of one of my main takeaways is is it's is it's interesting sort of just the mindset of these two teams. It just feels like. They both think that the world is against them, even though I think the world also thinks that they're the best two college football teams on the planet right now. Um, it's it's a weird dichotomy, yet at the same time, they've really both done a good job of convincing each other that the other team is better and they're the underdog. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Ohio State fans love to complain about Dabo Sweeney and about him calling disrespect and you know, complaining about the world being out to get them. But here's the reality. I don't think he's as outward with it. I think it's more behind closed doors. But just listening to Ohio State players, I'm pretty sure Ryan Day is using the same motivational tactics with 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 Clemson. It's it's clearly been with Ohio State, I should say. Clearly, it's been driven into their heads. They it, they keep bringing up the fact that they were projected to finish fourth in the Big Ten East this year, which I think was based on ESPN's football power index, and that's a whole other conversation. But but you're right. Both of these teams feel like they're the underdog. Ohio State is technically the underdog for betting purposes. Clemson's technically the underdog in seeding. So they, they both have a claim to that. But, but I do think it's kind of funny how both of these teams feel like they're being disrespected that nobody's giving them credit because i think a lot of people are giving them credit and certainly talking to the players and the coaches they're certainly both all giving each other credit because i think both of these teams recognize that they are going up against elite teams and they're so evenly matched and, and more so than that neither of these teams has a clear weakness, which is what makes it so hard to project how this game is going to go because they're both 13-0. They've both dominated just about every team they've played. And, and you can't look at either team and pick out one thing and say, this is clearly a disadvantage for this team. We can project that certain areas might be advantages, but it's so hard to say that one team is definitively better than the other in really any area. Going back to your point of you, you think you think Ryan Day is, is using this behind the scenes, and I think we we got a little bit of a lens into it today for uh, because we got to see 15 minutes of Ohio State practice, which means that we probably watched seven minutes of stretching and then seven minutes of just early team individual drills. So it's not like we were actually getting anything. Um, anything that's uh, actually important. But I think that probably one of the more interesting parts of that was Ryan Day gave a speech before the practice that was like, it to me, it was like the speech I had been waiting for him to give. It was a speech that like I thought maybe he could give, but I just I, I hadn't seen it before. And I think a lot of the players, when you talk to the players throughout the year, like it's the speech that they've heard him give. But to be honest, like I hadn't really seen him seen him like that. The way I compared it to uh, was was to like an Urban Meyer speech because Urban Meyer has this voice that he goes into when he's super intense, and it seemed like Ryan Day was almost sort of sort of giving that exact same voice. Um, and, and he was talking, you could hear, you couldn't hear exactly what every single word was, but you could pick some out. 
Like, I heard him talk about the disrespect. I heard him talk about winning on both sides of the line. Um, I heard him I heard him talk about that they can't lose this game, and they won't lose this game. And, like, these are the kinds of things that you expect him to say. I, I did think it was interesting when people sometimes wondered, I think, maybe earlier in the year before they went 13-0, whether Ryan Day was – whether it be too nice to be Ohio State's head coach or maybe didn't have the edge that Urban Meyer does. Like to me, that was just almost a lens. Like he he really he really does have this. I, I'm I'm interested to see um this 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 game because when people talk about Urban Meyer was that Urban Meyer's is master motivator. Ryan Day looked like a heck of a motivator in those two minutes and and, and obviously has motivated him enough to win that thirteen games in a row with double digits. And Urban was there at practice today, so you can imagine him feeling like a proud dad seeing Ryan Day in the huddle motivating his team. I was actually a little taken aback by that just because we hadn't seen it. Not that I didn't think that Ryan Day could motivate his team because he's certainly shown that he can all year long, but we hadn't really seen that up close and personal. Colin was smart enough to take video, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people had reactions to it based on watching it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely something that he has. He definitely has that edge to him. I think he definitely understands how to motivate a team. They have people like Mickey Marotti and Larry Johnson who have been there for a long time, and I think they certainly understand how to motivate a team as well. But I really do feel like both of these teams have very similar mindsets. And... I don't think either team is wrong to feel the way that they do. I I just, it, it seems like they both have very similar approaches in terms of, they bo- they're, first of all, they're both saying all the right things. They're both saying all the right things about how they're preparing and approaching this like any other game and continuing to work the same way they, they've worked all season. And I think they both really believe they're going to win but also understand that they're going up against an elite team. And whether it's what they're saying or what they've done on the field all season or the statistics or the talent, you you look at this matchup and you try to find an edge that one team might have over another to to make a confident prediction in who can win this game. And objectively, it's just hard to find. I think if you're looking at it through scarlet and and gray glasses, you're probably going to see more things that you think gives Ohio State the edge. And vice versa, if you're looking at it through orange and purple glasses, you're probably going to see more things that make you think Clemson has the edge. But from an objective point of view, I just don't see it. I think this game can really go either way. The only thing that would surprise me is a blowout win one way or the other. When you talk about um, you look you look for the edge and, and, and at any at any opportunity in this game, like what could it possibly be? I think that naturally brings you to Justin Fields and, and just like a small comment he makes, like his knee is at eighty to eighty five percent, which he said on Tuesday. Like in that in that moment, you just think like an eighty percent knee. If, if Justin Fields all of a sudden gets hit there, it goes down to fifty percent, and all of a sudden he's just he's not himself as a runner. Like that can swing the game, and something like this, like the, those kinds of plays, can swing the game. I thought it was interesting that he said eighty to eighty-five percent. I think there are a lot of mind games that can be played right now. I mean, one, I think I do think it's hurting. He wouldn't just be wearing a brace at practice if it wasn't hurting. 
So I think that there's absolutely something there. I also think it's good to say that it's 80 to 85% um, if, if you're Justin because, I mean, why not? It might, it might, think, it might make Clemson think that, that you can't run and maybe on one play you get them. Like literally any edge in, in this game is, is, what it, is, is what it comes down to. Um, I do wonder, um, I do wonder, uh, the, probably the one thing that I'm super interested about, about Justin, how he plays is, is third downs. I think I'm fascinated by him on third downs. Because in third downs, it sort of transitions him back to what you imagined he could be when he came to Ohio State. He gets a little wild. He gets a little crazy. He starts. He can. He can turn around. He can run. He can scramble, and he maybe won't throw it away at the first opportunity, um, which he, which he would maybe do on on first down. But if if the knee's not a hundred percent, I just wonder situationally whether he'll be able to do certain things like that. Collins, our conspiracy theorist this week, that he's he's not convinced that Justin is actually as hurt as he's saying he is. I wouldn't. I'm not like full. I'm not. I'm not saying. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Like I, I like I'm probably just gonna repeat myself because I, it's not a hundred percent. It's clearly not a hundred percent because there's no reason that you would go out and practice with a brace on if it actually was a hundred percent and you had no concerns, provided that you hadn't worn a brace before. Um, but I think mind games matter right now, and I think that I think there's a reason why when every player goes up and talks about Clemson, it's wow, Clemson is just so fast, they're so good. And when Clemson players talk, it's like we haven't seen anybody like Ohio State. It all matters at this point in time, um, in their minds at least. So I think I, I imagine, I imagine he wouldn't go up there and say my knee is about to fall off, please don't hit it. I imagine if he says my knee's 85 percent. You know he's feeling pretty confident that that if he goes out there, that one hit is not going to like take him out because like Clemson Clemson knows about this. Yeah, but I I also think that no matter what he said today, I don't think it really changes anything because I think Clemson was going to know regardless that his knee is probably not a hundred percent no matter what he said. I I know I there yep. were some people, fans and even some you know, some Clemson media members were kind of wondering why he would say that. Is if it's going to suddenly make Clemson own in on trying to take his knee out? I don't think they're going to do that. But I, I do think it's an interesting decision though, because he could say that it's that it's that it's back to hell. He could, um, and and I I, believe, and I think Ryan Day probably would have. I believe also um, in New York. Did he say that he wanted to play without a brace? He he was hoping to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. And think he, he, and he nec- didn't get there. Yeah, I don't think he was necessarily optimistic that he was, but he was hoping to. So yeah. I, I don't think he's where he wants to be. I think he was hoping that he would just feel perfectly fine this week, and he doesn't. And the reality is he's probably not going to. Even if they go to the national championship, he's probably not going to be 100% for that either because injuries don't just heal magically, and he's still been practicing. And I would imagine that after the season, whatever it ends, he's probably going to have to take it easier for a while, and it'll be interesting to see projecting forward to spring if maybe they take it a little easy on him trying to get him back to fully healthy going into next year but i think at this juncture of the year he's got to play with what he's got so the question is at this point is is it going to significantly affect his mobility because we did see in the big 10 championship game he didn't look as mobile as he had most of the year and he took more sacks he, he wasn't able to give his pass protection time as well as he had most of a year. 
And so it's definitely a concern. If he's not 100%, it's definitely a concern. It's definitely something that could affect the game. At the same time, I don't necessarily see it being a, the swinging factor that leads to a Clemson win. Because I think even with his injury, he played very well down the stretch of a year. And I also think that regardless of how healthy Justin Fields is in this game, we, we talked about it last week with our guests, the recipe that is most likely to lead to an Ohio State victory in this game is establishing the run with J.K. Dobbins and being able to move the chains consistently on the ground. I think regardless of how healthy Justin Fields is, I think if the Buckeyes are going to win this game, they have to be able to run the ball effectively. And obviously, if you have a fully healthy Justin Fields, you're probably going to run the ball better. But I really think J.K. Dobbins and that offensive line are going to be so crucial to this game. Because Clemson has the number one passing defense in the country. They're probably not going to give up a lot of big plays through the air. I, I think you really want to try to take what's a, a Clemson defensive line that's not as good as it was last year and try and wear them down, be able to move a ball on the ground. And if you can do that and control the pace of a game, I think that's the formula that's most likely to lead to success for Ohio State in this game. And that's also the reason why when I asked Greg Madison what's the most dangerous part of the Clemson offense, he didn't say they're, they're, they're passing attack. He said the run game. It's because if a team can run on you, all of a sudden other things open up. And I think that's especially important for Ohio State's offense, um, even more so if Justin Fields is not 100%. Because you can rely on J.K. Dobbins to a certain extent. You can you can you can run behind a Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis offensive line that has been just so so dominant and so successful on uh, and, and as a as a run blocking unit this year. Um, and, and if you can do that, then all of a sudden there are certain passes that that just open up downfield that that wouldn't be there if they can't do it. I I would I think that if Ohio State runs into problems offensively, it's because suddenly this offensive line that we think has been so good runs into a Clemson defensive line that people think can that Ohio State can take advantage of, and then all of a sudden that doesn't happen. Like I think if you're looking for an area of Ohio State has to win on offense, like that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think segueing into the Clemson offense because you mentioned how Greg Madison said the running game was the most dangerous part of their offense. It's another offense that's elite. And again, just like Justin Fields for Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence gets most of the headlines, and deservedly so. He's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He's an elite passer. And overall, this is by far, I think, the best passing attack that Ohio State will have faced this year with T. Higgins and Justin Ross on the outside to big, explosive, freak, future first-round pick wide receivers. Ohio State, I don't know what Ohio State's gone up against one receiver like that this year, let alone two. So that's going to be an enormous test for Ohio State's secondary, for Ohio State's pass defense. But at the same time, you also have Travis Etienne, who I know Ohio State fans think J.K. Dobbins is the most underappreciated running back in the country. Travis Etienne has a case for that, too, because he's led the nation this year in yards per carry. He runs the ball a lot less than J.K. Dobbins. For all the people who like to talk about J.K. Dobbins' lack of second-half carries, Etienne is, I believe he's run the ball less than 200 times this year. But when the ball's in his hand, he's as explosive, he's as much of a home run threat as any running back in the country. So you put all of those weapons together, 
this is going to be by far, in my opinion, the best offense that Ohio State has faced this year, and a huge test for that Buckeyes defense. Yeah, I, I, I think um, just going back to, to T. Higgins and Justin Ross, it's just to me, it's a fascinating matchup because you look at how far this this defensive backfield has come. I, I asked Jeff Okuda um, about sort of where they are um, in, in becoming the best in America. Because if if you remember, um, what was what was the catchphrase that that was used earlier this year that um, Jeff Okuda said actually they go by BIA? Do you remember that? When when he was asked DBU, about it was DBU. Yes, and, and he said actually we're BIA. Um, he said that, that they thought that BIA was broken after last year. They said that they were no longer the, the, the best in the country. And I think that that's, that's probably true. Which is not a ringing endorsement of Tavor Johnson and Alex Grinch's coaching. No, it was, it was, I mean, anyone who watched that defense knew that that was not the best uh, defensive backfield in America. No. Yet, up to this point, I think you can absolutely make a very strong case that this has been the best secondary in America. You have Jeff Okuda, who's a top, probably a top 10 pick. You have Sean Wade, who's looking like a potential first-round pick. You have Damon Arnett, who's, I, w- I would say, arguably the most improved player on the team, um, who's a fifth-year senior who's played more defensive snaps than anyone on the team uh, throughout his career. And then you have, and then you have um, Jordan, Fuller. Jordan Fuller, who's obviously a multi-year starter. And all of a sudden... They're matching up against what I think is going to be, even if they face um, LSU's passing attack, probably the best wide receivers that they'll face this entire year. And it's just, to me, it, it's it's the last test. Because they've gotten to this point, they've faced, they faced, certain, they've, they faced certain matchups, yet at the same time, you're, they, they, they still haven't faced the, the talent and athleticism that they will on Saturday. Yeah, LSU's passing attack is really good, too, so I yeah. don't... Oh, it's back to, it's, I don't know it, would be, I would, it would be back-to-back right Yeah, there. I don't know that I would necessarily agree if this is a better passing attack. Than I said wide receivers. Well, well, I mean, I think LSU's receivers, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, are yeah. really, really good, too. Yeah. So I think they're all really, really good. But the point is, I think, I think they'll be more confident. If Ohio State gets through this one, it'll be back-to-back. But if Ohio State gets through this one, you'll feel like they've got a chance against anybody, LSU or Oklahoma, however that game goes. But this is a... This is a huge test. It's it's a huge test for that secondary. It's a it's a it's a big test for Sean Wade, and we don't know how healthy he's going to be. He was out there in practice on Tuesday. It looks like he had like a wrap around his thigh. I'd expect him to play, but he didn't play against Michigan. Had to leave a Big Ten championship game early, so we don't know whether he'll be on one hundred percent. And Amari Rogers is a guy too in Clemson's offense who doesn't get the hype that T Higgins and Justin Ross do. He's not as big, but he's another guy. He's explosive. He, he's got big playability. He actually played most of his season on a torn ACL, but hypothetically, he sh- or not on a torn ACL, but he, he suffered a torn ACL in the spring, so he recovered in like six months to be ready to play for the start of the year, which is almost unheard of. But he should hypothetically be as healthy as he's been all year, too. So... Those corners are going to have to be on top of their game. I know NFL scouts are really excited about watching that matchup because, again, you're talking about T. Higgins and Justin Ross on the outside versus Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett, Amari Rogers versus Sean Wade in the slot. Those guys are all future NFL players, and it's going to really show just how good all those guys are. And my feeling is it's going to be a great battle where they're both going to make their share of plays, and it just might come down to who makes the bigger plays at the biggest times. 
What really matters too is, is like exactly what we said on the other side of the ball. Can can Ohio State's front seven stop ETN in a way that Trevor Lawrence has to make certain throws that maybe he wouldn't make if they weren't in third and four, third and three situations. If they turn those into third and ten situations, can Ohio State do that? And it's and it's something that sort of ETN hasn't. Pe- people aren't just holding ETN to three yards of carry per game. This guy averages eight yards of carry per game. If people talked about J.K. Dobbins being underappreciated, like you said, ETN's in that exact same conversation. If I were to ask you, like, what is the most important aspect of Ohio State's defense to win? Like, what, and not even that, what can they not lose? What do they have to win on defense? What, what would you say? Because we said on the other side of the ball, it's the offensive line has to get that push. You have to get that run game started. Well, it's a cliche, but people always talk about this game being one in the trenches, and I think. That is going to be huge for Ohio State on both sides of the ball of this game. I think on defense, I think they've got to they've got to get pressure in the backfield. We've seen the last couple of games that opponents they've double team, triple team Chase Young, trying to take him out of the equation, which tells you right or wrong they don't necessarily respect the rest of the defensive line nearly as much as they do Chase Young, and they're so focused on trying to chase, take Chase Young out of there that regardless of how Clemson decides to block them, they've got to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They've, they've got to take him. They've got to put him in situations where he might make mistakes. Because we saw early this year, Trevor Lawrence was making some mistakes, throwing interceptions. Second half of the year, I don't think he's thrown an interception in six or seven straight games. So you, you've got to get pressure on, on Trevor. You've got to make him uncomfortable. You've got to give those DBs help. Because I think if you give Trevor time to throw all day, he's going to throw some passes up. Even if coverage is good, those big receivers, they're going to win some 50-50 balls. They're going to make some big plays. So you've got to help him out up front, and then you've got to stop the run. You, ETN is is as dangerous as any running back in the country, so you've got to bottle him up. You've got to, you've got to keep Clemson behind the chains, put them in those third and long situations where then you can put your pass rushing package in the game. You, you can try to force Trevor into making mistakes. You, you can try to force him into incompletions pump a ball, try to win that field position battle. So I, I do think it all starts up front. I think the DBs have to play as well as they've played all year. Certainly the linebackers, we've seen them make huge strides. And I think tackling and assignment sound football is going to be extremely important for Ohio State in a game like this. But I do think it all starts up front. And I think, I think obviously – this is the type of game where you expect and you need Chase Young to step up and have another one of his dominant games. And I don't think anyone will be surprised if that happens. But it also comes down to whether it's Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday and Zach Harrison on the outside or Devon Hamilton and Sean Cornell and Robert Landers, Haskell Garrett up the middle. Those guys got to step up if Chase is getting double or triple teamed. The other guys got to step up, and that could even be Baron Browning blitzing, Malik Harrison blitzing, whatever. They've got to find ways to make stops around the line of scrimmage, bring pressure into the backfield. I, I think that's going to be the key for Ohio State's defense. Yeah, if you look at the past two games, um, you can say I, you said something about right or wrongly, um, teams are basically challenging the rest of the defensive line to get pressure. And I, I think it's right because. If you look at the past two games, obviously they, they they've blocked Chase a little bit differently. They put more attention to him. They've they've essentially said we're not going to let Chase beat us. We're going to have to have other people beat us. And 
the numbers back it up. I think going into that game, Ohio State was averaging, like I, I believe it was 4.3 sacks per game. And in those two games, Ohio State had two sacks apiece. Um, and Chase didn't have any of them. I imagine, I mean, if Clemson wants to one-on-one Chase Young, I'm not exactly sure why they would want to do that based on what has happened throughout this entire season. If I were Clemson, I would look at the last two games and I would see what worked against Chase Young and I would attempt to replicate that because that's the best that anyone's done against him and he's the most important player on Ohio State's defense. And if that happens, and I'm, I'll work under the assumption that that will happen until I see otherwise, and if they block Chase one-on-one, then I don't know what they're going to be. I, I, I will call that into question immediately. But if, if they don't do that, I, I do wonder about the other guys and, and can they step up. There just hasn't been a consistent second pass rusher this entire year. I think they have five guys who have between three and five sacks. And two are linebackers, one's the defensive end, and two are defensive tackles. Um, I, I think it's hard it's hard to consistently generate pa- pass rush if if those are the numbers beyond Chase Young. I think that's why it could come down to can Chase Young beat these double teams and still get sacks because based on what has happened, I almost wonder if that's more likely than, than sort of some of the other guys be, becoming having a two-sack game or something like that. Yeah, I think the reality is Chase is so damn good that you you have to take your chances with trying to take him out of a game and giving other guys easier chances to beat you. There are 16 and a half sacks. No one else has more than five. That's crazy. Well, that's just how good Chase Young is. And again, there's there's no surefire strategy for slowing down Chase Young because he's so good that no matter what you do, he, he might find a way to beat you. And, I, and I'd also think if you're Greg Madison, if you're Larry Johnson, over these last three weeks, I'm sure they've been trying to scheme up different ways to get Chase free. You're not, you're not going to just go into a game like this and put Chase on the edge every single play. We've seen him move inside at times. We've seen him drop back to linebacker at times. I would absolutely expect that they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve with Chase, some different alignments for their defensive front designed with the idea in mind of trying to get Chase more free, give him more opportunities to where he could get into backfield and disrupt the game. Yeah, and and I do think we both wanted to mention, too, Jackson Carmen, who's going to be one of the Clemson players blocking him. Um I think probably more people who are listening know him as a Fairfield, Ohio offensive lineman than a Clemson Tiger. Yeah, I would say so. Because back then he was a five-star prospect. Um, I talked to his high school coach the other day. I'll have a story on that probably on on Thursday or Friday. Um, It's interesting because I think sort of one of the more interesting parts of that was, yes, Jackson was down to Clemson and Ohio State, and he just felt better. At Clemson, um, uh, about probably four or five days earlier, I talked to Paris Johnson, and it was so interesting just hearing the difference in, in their reasoning. I because uh, Paris Johnson, I haven't written that story yet. I'll do that at some point after the Clemson game. But basically, what he told me is he picked Ohio State in part because he wanted to leave this legacy, and and when he went down south, that you know he would just be sort of another great offensive lineman down there. And he'd sort of just he'd just be another name, 
at Ohio State, he thinks that he can be a legend. He can have a he can have a tree at Buckeye Grove. He can be this guy who stayed in state. Um, and Jackson Carmen didn't. Jackson Carmen went elsewhere, and at the time, it was a gigantic deal because this guy was the was a five star prospect. He was the number one player in Ohio, and all of a sudden, like that was um, I don't remember exactly the timing, but that, I believe that was a year and a half, two years maybe after the 2016 game, and it almost felt like you know. Clemson has this momentum that, that maybe Ohio State doesn't um, doesn't completely in the state because that's the kind of guy who you you think that Ohio State is just a lock for and then all of a sudden um, he's going to Clemson. Yeah, and I to be honest, I think sometimes the narrative surrounding an individual's re- recruitment and what it means for the greater state of college football gets blown out of proportion. And I think this is one of those examples where I think I think Jackson Carmen just wanted to go elsewhere. I think he wanted. He wanted to do something different. He didn't want to just go to Ohio State because it was Ohio State. He said from the beginning of his recruitment, and I remember this because I was covering Clemson at the time when his recruitment really started to ramp up. From the beginning of his recruitment, he was saying that Clemson was his top choice. And I I still remember basically all the crystal balls were on him going to Ohio State. And I think that was really people saying... He's gonna go to Ohio State. Ohio State doesn't lose a kid like this from Ohio. They just like they didn't they didn't want to believe what he was saying. But he also, was, but also, precedent would say they shouldn't believe what he's saying because that almost never happens. It's so rare that maybe if a kid goes, if a kid's in a private school who's in Cincinnati, often sometimes they go to Notre Dame. It's pretty rare that some kid from Fairfield, Ohio, goes to Clemson. It's just it's so it's bucked the trend so much. No, it, it is unusual. But my my point was. He was saying from the beginning, he he verbatim said long time before he committed that Clemson was his top choice. It, it wasn't like he wasn't saying Clemson and Ohio State or even he was saying Clemson was his top choice. So he was always leaning in that direction. And obviously the momentum that Clemson had built at that time played a huge factor in that. But I, I, I don't. I don't think that necessarily, if Ohio State had beaten Clemson the year before and won the national championship, I don't know that necessarily would have meant Jackson Carmen would have come to Ohio State. I think part of it was he just wanted to do something different. And certainly we've seen Ohio State's efforts on the recruiting trail have gone just fine over the past few years. We saw almost a similar recruitment sort of Zach Harrison, and he ended up at Ohio State. But I still think that was a different scenario because he was looking at Michigan and Penn State. He wasn't looking at Clemson. So for Jax Carmen to go all that way away, I think he just wanted something different. But he's doing really well at Clemson. He's their starting left tackle. He He's one of their best offensive linemen. Certainly a guy who I think next year as a junior is going to be in that all-American, all-ACC conversation and probably a guy who's going to be a future early-round NFL draft pick. So he's got that kind of ability. He's going to play an important role in Clemson's efforts to slow down Chase Young this week. Yeah, he will. It's um, His high school coach said that the high school uh, coaching staff is going to have a party and there are going to be 34 Clemson fans there. The 35th is going to be the running bats coach who's just an Ohio State diehard, and there's no chance that he's going to be able to even support Clemson. But, you know, they're going to do that. And I told him on the phone, I was like, listen, it's the only only group of 35 people in Ohio that's going to be cheering for Clemson. So, so there you go. There's actually two players from Ohio on Clemson's roster. The other is Matt Bockhorst. He's a backup offensive lineman who wasn't recruited by Ohio State. So he'll have a two fans 
in Ohio as well. But definitely a little rare to see. Don't have anyone going the other way. In 2016, Ohio State had Michael Hill, who had actually grown up in Pendleton, South Carolina, which is right near Clemson. But they don't have any South Carolina players on their roster right now. They do have some Georgia guys, including Justin Fields, who we talked about before, who grew up just 25 minutes away from Trevor Lawrence. So those two, the number one and number two overall recruits in the class of 2018, and now they're both playing against each other in the college football playoff. Not exactly a surprise, especially with what we saw from Trevor Lawrence last year. We figured he'd be back in this scenario. We didn't quite know about Justin Fields coming into the year, but it quickly became pretty clear this season that he had the potential to get back here. So two of the best quarterbacks in college football, as everyone expected they'd be coming out of high school. The one difference is people thought he'd be doing that for Georgia and not for Ohio State. Sorry, you sort of blew my mind there for uh, about 30 seconds there. I was just thinking you dropped a Michael Hill reference on me out of nowhere. And, uh, well, I just remember that from, I remember us covering that yeah. back in 2016. When I hope he's doing better than, than the story that was written about him a few months ago. Um, you wanted to ask, tougher tests for Ohio State, Clemson's offense or Clemson's defense. Why, why did you want to ask that and what is your answer? Well, I want to ask it because I think it's a, a tough question, but I don't think it has an easy answer. I think I think Clemson's offense is by far the best offense Ohio State has faced this year, and I think Clemson's defense is by far the best test that Ohio State's offense has faced this year. So, I think it's a really I think it's a really tough question to answer. I side toward Clemson's offense. Because I do feel like in the last few games of the year, I thought Ohio State's defense started to look a little bit more vulnerable. And some of that comes from some of the stuff we just talked about. Teams figuring out how to block Chase Young, Sean Wade having injuries. But I I guess I would be less surprised if, if Clemson's offense has a huge day against Ohio State's defense. That would surprise me less than if Clemson's defense just shuts down Ohio State's offense the way it did three years ago? I 100% think the answer is, is Clemson's offense. I, I, I just think that they're, they're awesome in a way that Ohio State hasn't been tested in certain areas. And, and I do think I, I think that Ohio State's offense has been is, – um, I think they've gone up against some pretty stiff defenses throughout the year. I don't think their, their, their defense has faced an offense quite like this, um, really at all especially at quarterback and, and wide receiver. Like to me, the thing that I've been saying all the time is, is the reason this game is different. Like one of the main three reasons is quarterback. They haven't faced anybody like Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a potential number one pick uh, a year and a half from now. And I'm not sure who the highest pick is at quarterback who they've faced. I don't think whoever it is is going to be a first round pick um, unless someone just blows up in the future. Um, the way um, The way I look at it is, this def- this defensive backfield, this, this this pass rush, they really haven't had the pressure on them like they will um, against Clemson. These are just matchups that they that they have to win, and we've seen them win this year. But it's at another level, and that's why that one that that's my answer for that one. Reality is, in all phases of this game, this is the toughest test of a year that Ohio State's offense has faced. It's the toughest test of a year that Ohio State's defense has faced. It's the toughest test of a year that Clemson's offense has faced. 
it's the toughest test of the year. It's Clemson's defense's face. And that's none of that's hyperbole. I think you can make a case that Ohio State's faced a, a, a comparable defense. Um, I know the stats wouldn't say that because I think Clemson's given up like 10 points a game and hasn't allowed more than 20 points. But it's also against a, a weaker schedule. I think. I think. I mean. I think. I think that. I think they face some good ones. I mean, Wisconsin is as as we saw. Wisconsin is better than than both of us probably thought. I think the difference that I see is just from a talent standpoint, and more specifically a team speed standpoint. I think both of these team speeds a big difference. I think both of these teams have such elite athletes. And I, I just don't think – I think right now, I think it's just because of recruiting and because of how much the top five or six teams dominate recruiting year in and year out, I think there's a, just a few teams like Ohio State and Clemson and LSU and Alabama and Georgia that are just faster than everybody else. And I and I don't think – I think Wisconsin has a good defense. I think Penn State has a good defense. I think but – I, but I think going into those games – I think we also felt like Ohio State's offense is going to have an advantage because they're faster. Because we didn't think those teams had the athletes to hang with Ohio State's offense for four quarters. Whereas Clemson hypothetically does. Like I said, I don't think Clemson's defense is going to shut down Ohio State's offense. I, I don't necessarily think this Clemson's defense is as good as it was the last few years, even if the statistics say that, because of what you said, because they haven't really played anybody. And and I and I do think, just in terms of handicapping this game, I do think that Ohio State being a much tougher test for Clemson, Ohio State is far better than anyone's Clemson's played. I don't think there's any question about that. I think Clemson is certainly better than anyone Ohio State has played, but I don't think it's nearly as big of a gap. I think teams like Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan are all better than anyone Clemson played in the regular season. So I do think it's a bigger jump in competition for Clemson, and I think that's one reason why Ohio State fans would have reason to feel confident going into this game. But I also know that Clemson's won 28 games in a row dating back to the start of last season. I also know that Clemson has dominated with that one exception against North Carolina, which everybody remembers. But if you look at their schedule, other than that one game against North Carolina, Clemson blew everybody else they played out, dominated every other game. So this is a really, really good Clemson football team. I don't care who they've played. These are two of the best teams in the country, maybe the two best teams in the country. And I just think it's going to be one hell of a game. Let me take a random side note. Do you remember watching the end of the North Carolina Clemson game? I do. I remember was, we were at uh, it's Nebraska. It's thinking back to it. Yeah, yeah, I remember we were at Nebraska and the fans were cheering for North Carolina, the Nebraska it, fans. Because you want to know why? Because Ohio State was stretching on the field and they were playing it on the jumbo They were, yes. And it is, it is. It, I, I do think it is funny now. I, I didn't think about it then, but Ohio State's now matching up that team. Um, that they that they watched on the jumbotron. Yes, I remember watching it from the field while while exactly. watching Ohio State go through warmups. Um, speaking of a uh, little bit of of, of edges, uh, Dabo Sweeney has quite the edge and experience on Ryan Day, and and that's been that's been the case throughout the year. Um, Ryan Day is obviously a first year head coach, forty years old. It's different, but do you think that there's any anything? Do you think that Ryan Day is at any sort of disadvantage going into this game, hit being his first time? And, and Dabo's now, Dabo's done this. Dabo's done this quite a lot. Yeah, I think 
I think it would be naive to not think there's some advantage for Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. That this is literally their fifth straight playoff. They've been in this every single year. Almost every single player on their team has been in a playoff game. Every single coach on the staff has been in a playoff game. So they they know firsthand what it takes to win these kind of games. They've been there before. They've done this. Whereas Ohio State, Ryan Day's never coached in a playoff game. The, the only coaches who have actually coached in a college football playoff game on the staff are Tony Alford and Larry Johnson. There are a few like Greg Madison, Kevin Wilson, Greg Stadrawa who have coached in BCS National Championship games. So that's comparable. But Ryan Day has never coached a game in at any level to assist at anything. He's never coached a game this big in his life. So do I think the stage is going to be too big for him? No, because every time we've said this year that it's the biggest test and it's another box that he has to check, he's proven capable of it. His team has proven capable of it. So I don't think the moment's going to be too big for them. I don't think they're going to be shell-shocked, deer in the headlights, unprepared when this game starts. I don't rule it out, but it would surprise me. I, I think they're going to come prepared. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe Clemson gets off to a fast start just because Clemson's been in this position before, and if Ohio State has to rally, I think Ohio State would be able to rally if it ends up in this position this year, whereas obviously in 2016, Ohio State was not able to rally once things started to go wrong. I I, I think regardless, if either team gets off to a fast start in this game, there's going to be a response from the other team, because I think both of these teams are so good, but I just don't see either one of them getting blown out from the beginning. But I do think there is an advantage there and uh, at least a slight advantage there for Clemson that they've been in this position before. And if we're talking about a game that we, I think we both expect to be a down-to-the-wire four-quarter game, in those moments, Ryan Day is going to have a lot to prove. And if, if Ryan Day wins this game, if to me, if Ryan Day wins this game, if he beats Dabo Sweeney, who, if he beats the team, who has been the most successful team in college football for the last five years, then... We can now solidly put Ryan Day right up in that conversation with the elite coaches. He's not hes not Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban yet. He's got to win at least one championship before he's really in that conversation. But if he can go out and win this game on Saturday, then that's really going to prove that, hey, this guy's elite. He can win these kind of games. But he hasn't done it yet. So because he hasn't done it yet, I do think that's a slight advantage in Clemson's favor. Yeah, that's reasonable. I think, though, the one thing that I'm interested to see is sort of just the aggression of Ryan Day. Um, it's it's a topic that, that some people have touched on a decent bit, and I do think it's fascinating in these moments. He's never been here before. I think there's a tendency by a lot of coaches to sort of play it safe. I mean, you get here, you don't want to mess it up. It's your first time, you can't mess it up. You don't want to do a thing, something wrong. But like the way that Ryan Day talks, the way that he coaches, the way that he's explained these aggressive moments in the past, um, he's willing to go for it on fourth down. He's willing to kick the onside kick if he thinks it's uh, there's an opening. He's willing to do the fake punt. He's shown all this throughout the year. And I think this is the moment where, you know, you've done it throughout the year. Can, can you still continue to do it? And I think th- that's, that's sort of one of those telltale signs that I'll look to. Like, if there's an early fourth down moment in the first or second quarter where, I don't know, they're on Clemson's 40 and it's fourth and three, you know, I think Ryan Day, week 11, goes for it. Does, does Clemson Ryan Day go for it? I don't know. Um, I think he probably will. I, yet at the same time, like, we're all human. 
<laughs> he's going to look up in the stands at some point and be like, oh my God, I'm coaching in the college football playoff semifinal. It's just natural. He's, he's, he certainly will have that moment. I'm, I'm, I really am interested to see um, whether that affects the, his, his aggressive nature. Yeah, and, and I think the same is true for Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young, who have never played in a game of this magnitude before. So it is different. Do I think they'll, those guys will be up to the task? I do. But it's still a new stage. I mean, Chase Young was asked about it today, and even, even he acknowledged this is different. It's on a different level. Michigan game is big. Big Ten Championship game is big. But this is a different level. This is trying to win a national championship. The pressure doesn't get any higher than this. I think they can handle the pressure, but Clemson's proven it can handle the pressure. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about this. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you have a prediction? I do. I... Like I said, I, I, I truly view this as a 50-50 game, and neither team winning will surprise me. I, I just don't have a confident feel for either team winning this game. But I am going to go Ohio State 31, Clemson 28. I think it's going to be a four-quarter game. It's going to be a really good really good back-and-forth game. If, if it's not a one-score game, either way, I'll be surprised because I think – both these teams are really good. I think they're both going to be able to take some punches and respond. And I, I don't think either team has a clear one clear edge over the other where they should be able to just dominate this game. But we've seen Ohio State step up to the task time and time again. Every time we've doubted this team or thought maybe maybe they're not this is going to be the week that it's going to be too big for them, they, they've handled the task time and time again. I think they are more battle-tested than Clemson this year. I think they might be a more complete team across the board this year. And I do think we're talking about that game being won in the trenches when the game is on the line. I do think Ohio State's got a bit of an advantage in the, in the lines. I think skill positions, these teams are pretty much even. But I do think Ohio State might have a slight advantage in the line. So I can't pick it as anything other than a one score game, but I'm going to say Ohio State wins this game with not a ton of confidence. Because I'm going to pick Ohio State to win um, 42 to 36, let me pitch you a theory. I, I came up with this 30 seconds ago. So this is a very well thought out, very well considered theory. But I want, I want you to know, I want you to tell me if I am crazy. Um, when I think about the way that people are picking this game, it feels like Clemson reporters are picking Clemson and Ohio State reporters are picking Ohio State in a way that it just doesn't happen very often. And I almost think it's because the I think both teams are sort of right when they say that there's a little bit of disrespect. And it's not disrespect. It's, I think, because both teams have been so dominant and because there hasn't been, you know, this one great game against a top five opponent that, that I think people think is equal to them, that, you know, people don't totally realize how good this team is. And because we've watched this team for 13 games, I think there's a part of us that thinks, you know, this Ohio State team is really freaking good. And I think there are people who watch Clemson and go like, this Clemson team 
is really freaking good. And we've seen Clemson. We've watched Clemson. But we haven't watched Clemson in the way that we've watched Ohio State. And I think Clemson people haven't watched Ohio State in the way that we've watched Ohio State. I think that's the reason why I'm picking Ohio State. You're picking Ohio State. I think a lot of people who watch Clemson are picking Clemson. And that goes back to the point, like, I think this is going to be an awesome game because I don't think either side really understands that both these teams are, like, unbelievable. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's... I think it's really hard to have watched this Ohio State team all year as closely as we have and to pick against them because yeah. we've seen what they've done all year long and how impressive they've been. And so that's why I'm not picking against them. But I also do recognize that Clemson is really, really good. And I, and I, and I, I don't – I know that there are some people who think, you know, they've just eaten on a soft schedule and that – you know, they're not quite as talented as Ohio State, but I think they're just as good. I really think these teams are just about equally good. And it's going to come down to who shows up and plays better football. And, it, you know, now we're going it, to – it's so – in a game like this, it's so easy to just fall back into the cliches and who takes care of a ball better and, and you know, who's more prepared, who makes the least mistakes. But this is one of those games where – I absolutely do think this is one of those games where one big play can absolutely swing this game in, in one team's favor or the other. Something like a blocked punt or anything like that could absolutely be the deciding factor in this game because I think both of these teams are so good that I just I think if you give away points, there's a good chance that's going to come back and bite you in this game. So the other college football playoff game, LSU-Oklahoma, I don't think we need to have a conversation who's going to win, but how big will that win be? I think they're going to cover. It's a 14-point spread. I and think They being LSU. Yes, I think LSU is going to cover the spread. I think I, I don't particularly see that game being close. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I think both teams will score a lot, but I think LSU is going to score a lot more because I don't think Oklahoma's defense is particularly good. There's been talk about how much better they've been this year with Alex Grinch, but they're still really not that good. And we've seen Joe Burrow have a phenomenal year at LSU. I think LSU wins big. And if Ohio State wins on Saturday, that we could end up seeing a Joe Burrow versus Ohio State matchup in the playoff. To those who enjoyed Kyle Jones and his expertise in, in film last uh, last week, um, he is his confidence level is... Uh, put your mortgage on LSU, that kind of level. He and if he's that confident, you know what? I'm just gonna pick him. I'm gonna pick him to cover because I I trust him. Yeah, I I'd be really surprised if Oklahoma won. Oklahoma's got some key players out due to suspensions and injuries and whatnot. And I do think they'll score some points because I don't think LSU's defense is that good, and I think Oklahoma's offense is really good. But I think ultimately, Oklahoma's defense just isn't gonna be able to stop LSU. And it's going to lead to the Tigers putting up a lot of points and winning big. You want to hit up some questions? Yeah, we don't have a lot of questions this week because we forgot to post a thread in the forum until about two hours before we recorded. So, hand up. Our apologies if you missed out on a chance to ask us a question this week. We apologize. We know it's a big week, it's a crazy week for us traveling to Arizona. All kinds of stuff going on here. Sometimes you forget some of the things that you typically do during a regular game week just because there's so much going on. But 
we'll get to the questions that you guys have. First question comes from Shane Jammy Utah. And his question is, how will OSU look to contain slash limit Clemson's offense? Chase Young in the secondary obviously have to play amazing. He says, however, what type of formations and strategy do you think OSU will employ? This would have been a better question for Kyle Jones last week, if I'm being honest. But I, I do think um, it's a little interesting. Um, I wonder, I wonder when, when you think about how Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison have schemed up this defense. Sort of this is this is my thought process. Is you know they talk about ever since the spring they're going to match personnel and they're going to do they're going to put out. Whoever needs to be put out onto the field. If that means Justin Hilliard with a four-linebacker four look, that's fine. If it means Brendan White with the bullet, you know, we didn't see that very often. But that was, at one point, that was what they talked about. Um, I do wonder in this type of game, are they going to sell out against the run to stop BTN? Are they going to put a second safety, potentially Josh Proctor or Marcus Hooker, on the field more often like they did in the second half against Michigan to stop this passing attack? Um, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, the way that Greg Madison talks about stopping the run, it makes me think that maybe they won't do that second safety look. But I think I think it's conceivable. Um, Clemson has the receivers and the quarterback that they haven't faced yet. And Ohio State, the Jeff Athlete has said over and over again this year, they can't afford to give up the big play. This is a defense where it is an offense where if you don't defend it correctly, that big play can happen. Yeah, I think I think you're gonna have to have four DBs out there at all time. I don't think this is an offense you can go up against with a, a real heavy look like we've seen and maybe go against yep, Wisconsin with the four linebackers. I don't see as much of a two safeties, and one reason for that is Clemson's weakest position is at tight end. They really don't have much of a weapon at that position, so I don't think you're going to need someone to really match up with the, the tight end as much. ETN has some passing catching ability out of backfield, but it's not a huge part of their offense. So I think a lot of it in the passing game really is going to fall on those corners, on Okuda, Arnett, and Wade. And then you hope they're all healthy. If not, then guys like Cam Brown or Seven Banks or Amir Reap are really going to have to be ready to step up in this game. But I think I think those corners are going to have to do the heavy lifting, along with Jordan Fuller, of course, patrolling the back end. I think they're going to really be crucial to the pass defense. And I think up front, you know, you're you're probably you're probably gonna be in your base defense a lot, but I also think there's gonna be some wrinkles we haven't seen yet because this is the biggest game of the year. They've had three weeks to prepare. I'm sure there are gonna be some different looks, especially I think in, in passing sub packages, third and long type packages. I think there'll be some different wrinkles. We've seen a lot of different wrinkles with pass rushing packages this year. I would think whether it's moving Chase Young around or finding some different ways to get players involved. I would think they would want to throw some wrinkles in there to try to get more pressure on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I think I think it's a big game for for someone like um, Pete Warner. I just wonder what his role is specifically in, in defending Clemson. I'm not exactly sure what it'll look like. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big game for the linebackers. I don't know if we've talked enough about the linebackers. Yeah, I don't think I, we've talked anything about linebackers. I think Malik Harrison and Baron Browning and Tuff Borland and Pete Warner all those guys doing their jobs, and you know we we know how much maligned Tough Warner has been from a uh, Tough Warner, Tough Borland. Put them together. Been, tough Borland has been from a fan base for lack of speed and whatnot. This is the fastest team you've played all year. So those guys really got to be assignment sound. They really got to be disciplined. And they've got to play fast because this is the type of team that's going to expose any flaws that you have. 
Next question. Who says, uh, also bonus points if you can pronounce my name correctly. Uh, Dr. Spaceman? Unless this guy, unless this guy's trying to trick me, I'm pretty sure it's pretty simple right there. Looks but pretty simple to me. Says, Dan, I know you covered Clemson for the 2016 Fiesta Bowl. What's your take on the attitude Clemson is displaying about the matchup and how does it compare to 2016? Do you think that they're paying Ohio State lip service and are really as confident as they seem going into the last Fiesta Bowl or does Venables truly believe he's up against Goliath? I think it's a really good question. I, I think I don't really think their attitude is is decidedly different. And I think you know specifically when people talk about Dabo and some of the disrespect stuff that they talk about I they were talking about that back then too. I I think the difference is now because they've won so much that it's it's grown more old on the national audience whereas in 2016, they hadn't won a national championship yet. So that chip on their shoulder that they had, it felt more real to people outside of Clemson than it does now because now Clemson's won two in a row. They've won two, well, not two in a row. They've won two national championships in the last three years. They've won 28 games in a row. Everybody knows what Clemson can do. I don't really think there's many people doubting Clemson at this point. So I think it's perceived differently, but I think their attitude is is very much the same as it's always been in terms of every game's a big game and the way they prepare and the belief that they have in themselves. I, I think a lot of that's very similar than it is. I, I think I think they are confident going into this game. As we talked about before, I think both of these teams are confident going into this game. But I also think Brent Venables is telling the truth when he's talking about going up against Goliath. As Colin wrote in his story on Tuesday. The thing about Goliath is if, and and I'm not really a biblical person, so I might screw this up, but David slayed Goliath. So when he's talking about Goliath, he, he still believes they can win, but I think they definitely recognize how good this Ohio State team is. And I'm sure behind the scenes, they felt very confident going into 2016, knowing that Clemson's offense was going to be, uh, sorry, Ohio State's offense was going to be a weakness and that they were going to have an advantage. I'm sure they, they felt very, very good about what they were seeing on film going into that game. And I don't think they're going into this game thinking we're going to blow out Ohio State. I think they have a ton of respect for what Ohio State is doing on both sides of the ball going into this game. But I think they are confident. I think they are confident. I think they should be confident because they've won 28 games in a row. But I don't think it's just lip service. I think they really do recognize that Ohio State's a really good team and that they're going to have to play at their best to win this game. But when you've won 28 games in a row, you have reason to feel like if you play at your best, you're going to win. Yeah, it's tough to use the David and Goliath thing because I don't think David um, – I, I don't – Guess I can't tell you the exact passage, but I, I don't imagine David was a defending national champion type uh, type of uh, person. But you know, that, that's that's just my recollection. Um, Gen and Juice. There's not a lot of college football playoff in the Old Testament, is probably right? not. No, uh, Gen and Juice. You can you can you have to call the game with Chris Fowler, Gary Danielson. Who you got? I think Chris Fowler and I would probably get along better than Gary Danielson. Chris Fowler just seems easy to call a game with. You know? Yeah, Chris Fowler's a pro, total pro. Gary Danielson, and I'm not. I don't want to say bad things about him. I think he's what, clearly an SEC, card? clearly an SEC homer, and that's why he's not particularly well liked. And I do think that he sometimes, sometimes makes some comments that are a little bit 
off color and not great. So yeah, I would I would choose Chris I would choose Chris Fowler. I think Chris Fowler does a fantastic job, and I'd be honored to have the opportunity to work with him. Hovenot, who's your under the radar player to watch Saturday night? I assume that Hovenot is talking about. Ohio State here. Shoot, I hope so, because if not, <laughs> I'm just going to have to go read off the five players that you wrote about. Yeah, no, I, that would probably be the best strategy. But, yeah, in terms of an under-radar, under-the-radar Ohio State player, we, we talked about it before with guys on the defensive line needing to step up. If so, we call Devon Hamilton under-the-radar player I was going to say, I don't, I gonna say, row, I, don't say it again? Think, I don't think we can use... Devon Hamilton anymore. He'd be I, my stock answer if he's yeah, still under. I he mean, would listen, be, but the man has fewer than a thousand Twitter followers, so so he might. He might be literal. Yeah, he might be actually. He might still runner. count, but I was going to go with their other fifth-year senior starting defensive tackle, Jay Sean Cornell. I think Jay Sean Cornell played really well down the stretch of his season. He's their best interior pass rusher that they have. He's a guy who's played some inside and outside in his career. I think that's a guy. I think. Some people perceive that you know Clemson's interior offensive line, not not John Simpson at left guard, but maybe the center and right guard spots could maybe be a point of weakness that Clemson could exploit. Excuse me, that Ohio State could exploit. I think someone like Jay Sean Cornell has got to really step up if that's going to happen. So I'll go Jay Sean Cornell. I go with one from each side of the ball. I'll go Jonah Jackson on the offense. Everyone loves to talk about Wyatt Davis. I love me a little Jonah Jackson action. The guy is a the guy is a punishing blocker, um, and this is the kind of game where he has to win. We talk about the offensive line needing to win. Like Jonah Jackson is one of those five guys. I think I think the interior, those three guys, him, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis, are three of the most important players on Ohio State's team this game. Um, so he'll be my pick on that side of the ball. On the other side, I'll just mention Malik Harrison real quick because Malik Harrison is someone who I think everybody knows is good. He's talked about a. He's talked about somewhat, but also, here's the thing about Lee Harrison. He doesn't really like talking about himself. He doesn't like talking to the media also. So, you know, just naturally, he's not talked about as much from the media and the, and, and also fans a little bit. Um I think Malik Harrison's in a big position to have another big game, earn him a little bit of money before he heads off to the NFL. If we're going to both go both sides of the ball, I will go with K.J. Hill because I think that's the type. this is the type of game that he came back for. He came back. To, tr- to try to win a national championship. Shoot, you got to go write that story, Dan. To, to try to show up in these kind of football games. And so he's someone who's going to definitely have a chip on his shoulder, trying to have a big game, trying to turn the tables from what happened to Ohio State in 2016. So I'll go with KJ Hill. Grizzly. Who knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly? Says, how's Fields injury coming along? Well, we talked about that earlier. He's we did. said he's about 80 to 85%. I don't think he's going to be fully healthy, but he's going to play. He playing. That's what really matters. Chadwick, 11. Any last-minute drug testing happening for either team? No, the drug testing would have already happened. Uh, if you've seen the headlines... In the other game, Oklahoma's already had players suspended for drug tests. Those drug tests already happened. If you think back to last year, the Clemson players who were suspended, that news came out at the arrival press conference But when the teams arrived. So those drug tests had already taken place. So if anyone was going to get suspended for drug tests for either teams, that would have already happened. 
Somebody might be suspended and we don't know about it right now, but as far as I know, nobody's failed any drug tests and all of that's over. Last question, Bartholomew says, what's the general mood you've observed from, yes, what is the general mood you have observed from the team this week? Well, again, we kind of already talked about this, but I think it's a mood of excitement. I think these guys are really excited. Again, except for the seniors, most of his team has not played in a college football playoff game. So I think this is something, you think about guys like Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins and Sean Wade and Baron Browning, that class of 2017 that's so talented. These guys talked about it when they came in, when we're juniors, when we're leading this team, we're going to go compete for a national championship. So this is the moment that a lot of these guys on this team have been waiting for for three years, whether they came in in 2017, where they lost in 2016, or you have a guy like Justin Fields, this is the reason why he transferred to Ohio State. This is the reason why Jonah Jackson transferred to Ohio State. As I mentioned, this is the reason why guys like KJ Hill and Damon Arnett came back to Ohio State this year when they almost left for the NFL. So I think there's a lot of excitement. I think there's a lot of hunger. I think this team really, really wants to win this game and go play for a national championship. I think they believe they are a national championship caliber team. So I think they're confident. I think they're eager. I think they're hungry. I think they're working hard. And now, Saturday, they've, they've got to go play their best 60 minutes of football of the year if they're going to make it happen. Here's a little secret about the answering this question. Um, you saw them Sunday walk off a plane and then do a seven-minute press conference, two players and Ryan Day. And then on Tuesday, we talked to six players, two coordinators, and then watched them practice for 15 minutes. So the secret is that we haven't actually been around them so much so that we can tell you a lot about the general mood. I do think you sort of nailed it when you said it. it's just excitement. It's sort of a rival. Like they've worked, they've worked so hard for this for so many years and they've actually finally got back here. It's been so long, I think, in some of their minds. Like when you come to Ohio State, <laughs> when I asked Paris Johnson about his goals, he says, win at least two national titles. Ohio State, it feels like it shouldn't be that long of a time, but 2014 for some of these kids, that's a long, long time ago. I mean, they were they were well into high school or, or even middle school back then. Um, I think there's a level of, of excitement and, and sort of just a happy to be here. And that yet you still have sort of that locked-in feeling um, from, from some of the guys that we talked to today that you sort of you got throughout the year. This is the moment that guys come to Ohio State for. I know there's people who say Michigan's the biggest game of the year and nothing tops Michigan. And we were talking a month ago about whether winning the Michigan game really does matter more than winning a national championship. But this is what these guys dream of. This is why they came to Ohio State, because they want to play for a national title. So that's how we'll close the show out tonight. We'll leave that to you. Think about it now that it's actually here. What matters more? Beating Michigan, which Ohio State just did, once again this year, or going out and beating Clemson, a team that Ohio State has never beat before, going out and beating Clemson and having a chance to play for a national championship. Whether they'd admit it or not, I think most of the guys on this team, this would mean more to them to win this game and get to go play for a national championship and try to go win one more and be the second 15-0 team in college football history and cement themselves as Ohio State legends. By the time we talk to you next week, 
We'll know whether they've done that. We'll know whether this team is going to be playing for a national title or we'll be taking a look back at what went wrong against Clemson and recapping the entire season. Either way, we're going to have a lot to talk about. So be sure to tune in once again next week for another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Thanks so much for listening in. Thanks so much for taking time during your holiday week to listen into what we have to say. We hope you all have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we will talk to you again next week in uh, the new year, I believe it will be. So we'll, we'll catch you guys in 2020. You guys are either going to be really happy or you're going to be really disappointed, but we'll break it down either way. <laughs>